I'm super excited about this episode because I've been thinking about all of the data that exists and all of these tools that we have access to and this culture of instant gratification that our consumers live in. You know, real estate has never been more competitive. That's why being at the right place at the right time with your prospects is so important. And, you know, we're finding not only in our industry, but in others that if you're not there, someone else is going to show up. But how do you do that? How do you cut through the noise and craft the best message, time it just right, deliver it where they want it on the device that they're using? And I found time and time again that it's really by making sure that you're using the right tools. You're using some sort of CRM and then leveraging that to make sure that you're keeping track of all of the touch points with your consumer. Now, CRM has been around for decades, like lots of industries have used it, you know, but what does the future hold for it? Alan Bondi thinks he knows. Now, he's our new SVP of marketing at Playster. I'd say not so new, so less than a year. Uh, he's been busy at work behind the scenes, sort of crafting what we do to go to market. And what's exciting about this episode is we sort of share what we use to go to market, to build our team, to create the content that we create, to create the demand funnel and the CRM and how we think about CRM, because it's really applicable whether you have 400,000 clients or whether you have 10 clients or whether you're doing 50 deals a year, like the process and the strategies are still the same. In this interview, Alan Bondi explains his secret to stretching your content, the value of what he calls small data and how the best CRM can generate a lifetime of value for your customers. You're not going to want to miss this one. I'm excited. Hi, this is Josh Dorkin from biggerpockets.com. I'm Marguerite Chaguer, and we're at Windermere Professional Partners in Tacoma, Washington. This is Alan Bondi from Playster, and you're listening to the Marketing Genius Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Genius Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes with the most brilliant real estate professionals and brands to uncover the latest digital marketing tools and tricks for your online arsenal. Now, here are your hosts, Seth Price and Matt Barbet. Alan, so this is a, a really interesting episode because, you know, we have this fantastic opportunity of working together because we do it on a daily basis. And, you know, the thought of not sharing that with the audience and, uh, you know, all of the insight that you have, that's what that's what got us here. But uh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. No, thanks for having me. It, it's funny on our walkabouts, I I even thought we should like have a camera with us when we walk and talk. <laughs> it's so true. So first of all, let folks know sort of what do you do at Playster? So as head of marketing, I guess the, the short answer is my team has to make sure that there's enough, you know, interest and leads and buzz around Playster so that we can feed all of our different funnels, you know, keep our sales team happily engaged and keep our customers up to date on what's going on with Playster and even, uh, you know, signal to the market what we're up to. So I think it's all about kind of creating the different stories for our different audiences and ideally collecting up the data that allows us to target those stories to the right people at the right time. That's what, that's what marketing is all about to me. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting how, 
you know, I had this, I don't want to say it's an epiphany, but I realized that all business is exactly the same. Like, you know, sometimes we ask folks, Hey, what business are you in? And they're like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a real estate agent or I'm a, I'm a tech company and we build software. But the reality is we're in the trust business, right? We are, we're earning trust from an audience and we're delivering on the promises that we make so we can continue to earn trust and keep those customers and they don't churn out and they refer us like they, people buy from no like and, and trust that hasn't changed uh, in a millennium. Yeah. And it's funny because I used to have discussions back in this sort of dot com boom about, you know, the best lessons for creating you know, a new business was hang out in your local independent hardware store yeah. and listen to the conversations as people came in. And in most cases, you know, they were there with a question or a problem or they, they had a project that they wanted to do. And they were there to sort of start that discussion, but they were coming because they trusted the, uh, the smarts of the people there. They liked hanging out with them. And oh, by the way, they might buy some stuff while they're at it and yeah. likely they would. But I think you're right. Trust is really interesting because to me, it's a function of um, value that you expect, you know, when you go into the hardware store and you know that you'll get an answer to your question, but also sort of an element of consistency, I think, as well, that you're mostly the advice that you get is good advice. And if you can surround those conversations with opportunities to, you know, hey, I'm trying to fix this hole in my in my window screen. And they're like, well, there's a couple different ways you can. You can buy this role of, of replacement screen. We'll show you how to do it. Or we have a service that does it so they can kind of upsell. I think it starts with trust, but also trust is that function of um, knowing that you're going to mostly get the right um, instruction. Yeah. But also that there's a consistency. And if you do that really well, and I'm sure we'll talk about this part as well, as you get people relaying that story and so on. It's not just about your story, but it's how people take your take that story and transmit it through their network and then you get the whole uh, social graph stuff going, which is good for everyone. So you have this really interesting background where you have worked in the the CRM space for many, many, many years. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you had to say many, 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 didn't you? <laughs> the extra many there. You know, it's, it's funny because I um, I kind of wound up in CRM through sort of a twisty path because my background's in engineering and I worked in corporate R&D for a few years. And then um, then I worked at an ad agency sort of as my, um, I guess, my sabbatical from the technology world and wound up sort of finding myself at the intersection of sort of different tools and um you know, marketing platforms and messaging platforms. And really CRM is very much sort of at that intersection, or at least it should be, Yeah. you know, it emerged as a technology category. I was, I was an industry analyst um, at the old Yankee group when the whole notion of CRM kind of emerged. Cause I was covering precursors to CRM. We were calling it um, call center systems or Salesforce automation or uh, field support systems. And, you know, in that era, this is going back, you know, 20 years, the, the idea of CRM as a sort of set of technologies that would all sort of combine the way that you sell or market or support kind of the customer lifecycle that emerged in that era. And it was credited to a few different people, Tom Siebel, and as of Siebel Systems fame sort of claimed ownership, I suspect there's some other people who would claim ownership. But, you know, I started working in CRM as an analyst as a con- and a consultant 
and then sort of through sort of the arc of, of what I've done, worked as a marketer for some of those companies, worked as a consultant, creating the strategies for, you know, online channels or for um, building sort of multi-channel organizations. But the root of all of this, and I think the consistency, to your point, if some of these things just don't change, you know, the, the fundamentals stay the same, is how do you use um, technology to facilitate the, the buying of products, yeah. but also getting to know your customers as you go kind of upstream of that. An interesting thing sort of at another milestone. So I started again kind of covering that technology, then worked for one of the early Siebel integrators and ran their strategy business and then worked at McKinsey doing more of the management consulting. And there's been different flavors of CRM over that 20 years. And, you know, we see that right now within real estate, but McKinsey had their own twist as they do for a lot of things on CRM you know, by definition from the technical folks continue, uh, customer relationship management is CRM. McKinsey though had in their own way, their own twist, which was continuous relationship marketing. And honestly, I think that's what we're coming back to sort of 15 years later is yes, CRM is about technology, but it's really about a mindset and the people and processes that allow you to continuously market to your relationships, your contacts so that they always have what they need at the point in time that they need it, but even better that when they're ready to buy something, you're right there. And I think that's sort of uh, very re related to real estate is, you know, agents and brokers are cultivating the re these relationships. In the case of my mom, who's been a you know, realtor for many years, for, for even a decade, right? And so you have to continuously foster those relationships and nurture them. And then when they're ready to buy or sell, there you are. And I think that's sort of the new CRM to me is more of the marketing branch, but also thinking of relationships not as transactions, but rather um, long-term relationships, just the same way in our personal lives that, you know, a one-night stand may be satisfying for a point in time. Uh, I, no, would no, know, no, I wouldn't no know anything about that. Yeah, no, no personal uh, experience there implied. But it's it's like a transaction. It's a it's a quick fix. But the best relationships develop over many years, and they have ebbs and flows. And from a customer perspective, I think we'd all agree that ultimately we're trying to optimize the lifetime value of our customers, not just any one thing that they buy from us. And I think that requires kind of people going back to fundamentals when they think about CRM. That it's not just you know creating a lead and advancing it through the funnel and getting them to buy something. That's part of it but it's also how you communicate with those people over the course of the history of your business and get them to know you, but also get to know them with data. And then magically, and it sort of seems like magic when you appear on the spot with just the right offer, when people are like, Hey, I was just going to call you. Yeah, it, that is, that is the magic. Um, I want to dive into something that you said, which is um, you have a unique perspective, which is your mother has been a realtor for a very long time and you've never had a license, but now you're like in the midst of, you know, running the marketing team for this company that only serves real estate professionals. What do you see that what's low hanging fruit for realtors? Like use your mom as an example, or use some of the clients that you've recently, you know, sort of done case studies on to, they started without a lot of systems and then they onboarded some technology and figured out this, you know, customer relationship or customer lifetime value system that they have? You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, good realtors 
are are relationship people naturally. Um, some are technically savvy. Some are not. Um, in the case of my mom, I'd say she's more on the not side. Yeah. Not unusual for somebody who's been in the business a while. And you know, she's a she's a musician by training. Um, and so, I think that what we're seeing is there's opportunities, really to 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 help people kind of brush up their, uh, you know, their online presence to become multi-channel in the way that fits the way that they do business. And when we say multi-channel, maybe it's um, being more active in terms of using social channels to cultivate these relationships. Um, maybe it's even just how they can use technology to, you know, remind them on a daily basis, sort of, hey, here's here's the the people that you should be reaching out to because it's been a little while, or here's somebody who looks like based on their posts that they're ready to list or something like that. I think there's there's some um, sort of daily improvements, and I think this is back to sort of how we're thinking about CRM. That that CRM for realtors is really an arc of, you know, how do you really get the right kind of online presence so that you can be attracting the people that you most naturally want to work with or get to know. How do you start to uh, basically opt them into your communication? And then how do you nurture those relationships using technology where technology makes your life easier? And I think that's um, that to me is the new CRM where it's more about marketing than necessarily selling. It's more about facilitating and in some cases, automating sort of the natural pace of the interactions and the communication that you would have. But then the secret sauce emerges once you start to pull people into, you know, if we call it a database, then you start to see patterns emerge. And that's where I think data and becoming data driven sort of emerges from that. But you can't really get that insight until you start to collect and, and digitize things. And you can't really collect and digitize until you yourself become digital enough to be a player yeah. And I think that's kind of the, and we've talked a lot about this, right? There's, there's this progression and various people are at different points in that adoption curve. But I think the real lesson, especially for realtors is if you look at the NAR data, if you look at sort of what people are talking about in different social forums, you know, many people are kind of early on um, in that journey, but yet maybe sophisticated in certain ways that sort of would belie where they are in that journey. You know, they may be very savvy in terms of a Facebook, for example, which is a great channel. Yeah. Um, or they may be very savvy, like my mom, in terms of using apps on her phone, even though she's not going to you know, want to set up an email campaign or design a website. So I think that the lesson here is that people are at different stages, but it's not too late if you haven't really gone down the digital path. If you're more advanced, um, there's lots of opportunity to start looking at automation, to start looking at the power of data. So I think what we've learned at Playster is that there's something for everyone and you know, it's not like one monolithic market, right? There's lots of different personas that we see and that we work with. And some literally just want us to do everything for them, which is cool. That's an opportunity as a business, certainly when people say, hey, I trust you. Can you just do this for me? And then there's there's lots of others who are saying, hey, I'm getting started, but I'm really interested in becoming more proficient in email marketing. Or I want to kind of get started with CRM, but I don't need all that stuff that like Salesforce uh, provides. Yeah. So I think there's huge opportunities when you recognize that this is a market that's made up of lots of kind of small markets. You, you mentioned data, which is really interesting because I think, uh, many eyes glaze over when one starts to talk about big data, because you know, what does that mean? Like we're surrounded by it. I totally get it. But you 
um, have written a lot about small data. And I'd love for you to sort of talk about what that means and how it's accessible to, you know, the audience that we're talking to. Yeah, it's funny. Um, this is now going back, gosh, probably three, four years. Um, when I was doing consulting, I was, you know, talking to a lot of brands in different industry. I was, you know, maintaining relationships with some of my tech friends and sort of at the peak of big data hype, I'm a bit of a contrarian sort of back to my analyst days, my consultant days. And we started talking sort of some of the, some of my sort of trusted uh, tech industry people. We started talking about sort of either what's next after big data or are we missing the point when people are taking this kind of a systems view of data? You know, hey, more data is better and you need more systems and computers and databases and all this stuff when mostly what users want is useful insights that they can use just in their daily work. Yeah. And the big data movement was progressing towards bigger is better. And, um, you know, if you're a government agency or a pharmaceutical company, you were going to create all these amazing models that would come up with the next forecast or the next, uh, drug treatment or something like that, which is great. That's, that's valuable in its own way. But the thought was that big data was trending kind of away from where it was going to be useful for most people. Yeah. And so the notion of small data kind of came out of some of these conversations. And I actually wrote a piece uh, for Forbes. Gosh, this is now going back, I think almost four years ago, October of 2012, if I remember correctly. And it was somewhat tongue in cheek, but but the the op-ed was around the notion of you know, to really make smarter applications, we have to think small when it comes to big data. And I presented in that forum and then in many others, this notion that if you're thinking about the role of data in not only applications, but even in design, you know, the design of products, the design of apps, the design of systems, a way, a good way to think about it is kind of more from the user perspective and what does the user want. And we came up with sort of some of the people I was collaborating with the notion that, you know, apps or experiences or whatever you want should be, you know, simple first, they should be um, smart in terms of understanding kind of what people need is use data should to be extra smart at the, at the point in time, they should, they should be, you know, social so that people can combine their data with other people's data. And they should also be responsive in terms of working across any platform. And that sort of turned into, you know, some industry discussions I've certainly written and, and spoken about it quite a bit over the last three or four years, but small data at it, at its essence is, sort of flipping the equation around, if you will, taking more of a user-centric approach and looking at what specific um, insights or visuals or answers that could be derived from data that you mostly already have. You know, in a retail setting, it's the data that you're gathering every day at your point of sale uh, terminal, and it's the customer surveys, and it's the, the posts people are making about your products. Sort of scraping up the data that you already have as opposed to aspiring to create this massive data warehouse and then look at ways that you can inject that into sort of everyday conversations, interactions. Um, and what's cool about small data versus big data is most people already have data. Yeah. And if you think of it from, um, you know, what would be most useful in my daily work, you know, small retailers have already cracked this code back to the hardware store, right? That they, that those, 
businesses are very good at looking at their daily receipts and looking at the orders coming in and out and looking what's happening with suppliers and um, looking at who's responding to what type of advertising they're doing and adjusting the mix, for example, of what products they want to feature at the at the front of the store on the end caps or if they're a bigger store. So retailers have kind of done a good job with with small data long before the big box retailers got into you know, database marketing and big data and all that stuff. So in a way, just like we need to get back to basics, I think with CRM, small data invites us to get back to basics with the data that we're already gathering, you know, whether that's surveys or whether it's references or things like that. And man, if, if we can provide easy ways to get to that, like our friends at, at Real Satisfied, make it easy to sort of collect up how your customers are thinking about you and then applying that as you market to other people, there's huge value that don't require kind of uh, huge investments in technology. You t- you touch on some great points. I think you know I've watched um, one as the market has evolved, but also as we've evolved as a company, and you know sort of really wanting to be at the forefront of serving up very useful, actionable insights. And real satisfied is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, the ability to programmatically survey the buy and the sell side of every transaction and then have them fill out a survey that tells you, you know, what were the factors of influence that made them want to work with you, you know, work with the mortgage broker? What was the process like? What didn't they like? Where did you drop the ball? And then being able to use that information in your marketing so you can attract more customers that, that love what you do. Like that to me is priceless. Um, I, I love that aspect of taking data and making it actionable today. Well, and even better, it, the role of data in this context can be both how you understand what people want. So kind of how you can get smarter about what you do in general, as well as directly engage with some of them. Imagine the power of providing certain uh, data-driven insights, you know, market studies or surveys or what people are saying type things. I think what's cool about this approach is the mechanism makes your business smarter, but some of those insights also would attract certain people to your business, right? It's kind of this, this virtuous cycle of, I can understand my market better, which allows me to present different offers or different content that's helpful, some of which can incorporate some of that data. So I can in both engage with the data or, or allow my customers to engage with me better because of data. But that engagement drives more understanding, which drives new opportunities to engage. So it's kind of this data-driven cycle where the more you engage, the more data you get, the more data you get, you can use some of that you know, in a, hey, did you know that here's the top ranked schools in this neighborhood? Isn't this cool? Which allows more people to give you data. And then if you bring in the social cycles, then the more people who are sharing, the more that they might engage and present some data. And I think that's that's the ultimate here is we use data to both attract new people, but then learn from them and their peers, which attracts more people. And as long as we're, you know, to your point before, as long as we're trusted and we're delivering value and not for example, spamming people with that insight, then more people will come and it just, it feeds itself, which is the beauty. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, talk about content because I think, you know, we live and breathe it, but we don't often talk about it publicly sort of like, Hey, it's role in building a marketing machine. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you, 
you know, what you think about content and then how you're using it or leveraging it. So I think this goes back to storytelling, right? That, that, um, you know, the best marketing encapsulates a story and how you deliver that the package is going to be some type of content, whether it's written or whether it's recorded or whether it's visual. And I think what's interesting is as the world has become more multimedia and multi-channel, you know, we're seeing more and more interest in uh, short form video, for example, or podcasts or other types of kind of interactive media. But the more that you produce that format, you also can create derivative content. And that's why, I mean, a few years ago, I did quite a bit of uh, video production and kind of online media work. And what struck me is if you produce content, for example, in one of those rich formats, you know, this discussion, we can transcribe, we could turn it into a blog post. You do video like we filmed at the uh, KW Mega Camp event. We could turn that longer form video, video into a sizzle reel. Then we can transcribe that into short form case studies. We can, in a, in a good um, sort of structured conversation, kind of man in the street, you could turn that into a podcast. So I think content is essential, you know, as that medium for how you communicate your message and your value, obviously, but how you do that at scale and how you target it ultimately will determine if your cost of acquisition is, I guess, high or low, depending on how efficiently you can get content to the right place. Yeah. You know, you, you point out a really great example. Um, one of the things that I've seen done very effectively, if we're going to talk about video in relationship to real estate, if you're going to shoot a walkthrough of a house, you're certainly going to have a longer version of a walkthrough, but you should use your camera and do a Facebook live of the walkthrough, even if you might also be using a professional camera to do the full walkthrough. You should share that on Instagram in its 15 second clip. You should share that on Facebook and it's Facebook live. So you can talk about, Hey, doing a walkthrough of this house. We just listed it. Um, this is really interesting. Don't make it super long, but make it interesting. Then you can take that same video and put it in content in your email and send it out to folks. And then you have the full walkthrough, which lives on your site, lives on the various other channels that you play with. You can also write about it, a blog post about, hey, you know, what's happening in a neighborhood or the best schools or the best places to trick or treat. And imagine embedding the walkthrough of what's it look like inside of a house in this neighborhood in that post. You've now taken one effort and you've turned it into 10. Yeah. And that notion of kind of atomizing your content is is really important as is sort of how you parcel it out, right? So um, back to sort of the media model, I like to think of content in terms of long form, standard form, and short form. And, you know, short form, your little uh, 45 minute clip or uh, a 40, Facebook 45 post. 45 second. You oh, yeah, sorry, 45 second. <laughs> Don't want to confuse minute, would, anybody. Yeah, that would be long. Yes, 45 second clip. Um, the goal with that, right, should be to create initial engagement, foster sharing, drive people to the standard form, the slightly longer, say the full blog post or um, the article or the sizzle reel video, um, which then should drive people who are really interested into that long form, you know, walkthrough or ebook or market study, which at that point, most people are interested enough that that's where you can capture their full contact information and invite them to subscribe to other content. And that's exactly the model that we're trying to develop at scale at Playster, right? Where we're producing a variety of these different formats. And some of it's really just top of the funnel, getting people to know us and to share our point of view with their network. 
Some of it is more kind of middle of the funnel where we start to engage with people more deeply and they're raising their hand more and maybe they want to download some of these assets and we get to know them. Some of it's going to be sort of bottom of the funnel, you know, hey, tell me more specifically about what you're offering or in the case of, you know, buyers and sellers, you know, I'm really interested in this neighborhood. I'd like this market study. I want to start seeing information on specific properties. And I think if you think of that funnel fed by different types of content, it goes back to the start of the conversation where we're building this continuous relationship marketing cycle where we continue to watch where people are in their purchase process. And then we're presenting them with things that would be helpful along the way. And I think that's, to me, that's the bottom line for marketing is if you're helpful, you're going to advance the conversation, you're going to create trust, and then people will come back when they're ready to buy, even if at that point in time, they're still looking. That's awesome. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know that you've got a lot of stuff to do. Where can folks find out more about you? Um, a couple places. Uh, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So there's uh, always a list of my most current articles sort of in my LinkedIn profile. If people are interested specifically in small data, um, I still have a blog. I haven't blogged a whole lot, but there's a few things there, including my latest talk at smalldatagroup.com. And obviously anybody who's interested in all the things we've talked about can always visit the blog. And especially I'll put in a plug for the, the marketing Academy at placer.com as well. Yeah. So that's placer.com forward slash Academy. All right, folks. Thanks so much, Alan. Love the chat as always. I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Genius Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to write us a review on the iTunes store. For our full episode archive and access to exclusive bonus content, visit us online at playster.com slash podcast. If you have feedback about Marketing Genius or want to suggest topics and guests for future shows, drop us a line at podcast at playster.com. Don't settle for mediocre marketing. Become a marketing genius and start growing your real estate business online. The Marketing Genius Podcast is brought to you by Playster, the digital marketing platform for real estate professionals, brands, and organizations of all kinds. With beautiful websites, lead management tools, marketing automation, and an academy featuring the latest tools and tips, Playster offers real estate professionals everything they need to succeed online. Learn more at Playster.com.